Well, let's grab a seat this morning, and um, if you're on your way to your seat and you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand, and um, one of the guys will grab you a Bible if you need one. If you ran out of the house with a Bible this morning, no problem. But turn with me um, in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67 this morning, as we look at our Christmas um, message, and, and in Psalm 67, it's, sim- it's simple. There's only seven verses, so hopefully we can get through it in under two hours. That's the goal. We can make it out by one o'clock. Um, but this morning, we want to look at, in Psalm 67, um, the greatest presence of all. And think about it. What is, you know, the, post, the day after Christmas, or maybe the evening um, of Christmas, everybody's asking, especially the kids, right? right? What's, what was your favorite gift? What was the favorite thing that, you, you, that somebody gave you or maybe that you got to, to give? And for us as Christians, for those who are in Christ, the greatest present is God's presence, isn't it? And it's God's presence that has been made available to us in Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning in Psalm 67. It's a short psalm like I was mentioning, often overlooked you know, maybe you're, you come to it in your, in your two-year re, two Bible reading plan and, and you get excited. You're like, oh man, okay, it's an easy one th- this morning. It's only seven verses. I can do this one. I, I won't fall behind today. Um, but man, has God has, has something cool for us in Psalm 67. So if you're an outliner or a note taker, a quick outline of Psalm 67. I, lo- I like to do this. It helps me understand and, and see the main point of it. But really, the point of the psalm is that we, it's a prayer to ex- experience God's blessing. So the psalmist here is, is praying, asking to experience God's blessing, which, as we will see, is his presence or his face. Now, we see after that in verse 2, the purpose of God's blessing so the purpose of God's blessing in verse 2. Then in verses 3 through 4, we, we see the result of knowing the Lord. And then finally, in verses 5 through 7, we see our purpose fulfilled. Really easy to break down. So in verse 1, we see God, or the psalmist's prayer was to, is to experience God's blessing, which is his presence. In verse 2, we see the purpose of God's blessing to make him known to others. In verses 3 through 4, we see the result of knowing the Lord, which is praise and worship. And then finally, um, number 4, you see the perp- our purpose fulfilled in um, the fruit, so that God is glorified. So let's read through the psalm together, and now that you have that outline, that you have that breakdown. So we see Psalm 67, an invocation or a doxology, In verse 1, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, and let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the earth shall fear him. And Father, this morning, as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, and um, just to see the real gift of, of your presence, Lord. And for some of us, Lord, it's easy to um, just go through the motions, Lord, I'm guilty of it, to, to say that I've read my, my word or, or that I've spent time in prayer, Lord, but I haven't really sought your face. And would you forgive us of that this morning? Lord, we want to be honest with you and, and real. Lord, we've blown it. God, and we need your word that cleanses us or that washes us or that um, is the source of all truth. And so would you, by your Spirit, speak to us this morning. Lord, and I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, who isn't sure that when they breathe their last breath that they'll be in your presence, that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we saw, starting in verse 1 again, this psalm, this, the seven simple verses of Psalm 67, right? We can all remember that. We see in verse 1 that it's a prayer. The psalmist is praying, making supplication, calling out to the Lord to experience God's blessing. And if you, if you break down verse 1, you see his first request is that God would be merciful to us, that he would experience the mercy of of God. And so you have to understand, and it's important for us to know what mercy truly is. Mercy is a gift. Mercy is something that's bestowed upon us. Mercy cannot be earned. Mercy is not deserved, or else it wouldn't be mercy, would it? But mercy, God's mercy, and he says there, the psalmist, saying, God be merciful to us. Notice he doesn't say, God be merciful to them, but he's including himself. He realizes that he himself is in need of God's mercy. And that's each of us this morning, right? That we are in need of God's mercy. Not getting what we deserve. You know, sometimes I can become so discouraged and I'm like, Lord, I deserve to be treated better than that. I can't believe my work did that to me. My friend said that to me. Or that you would allow this circumstance to happen in my life. But if we were to take a step back and truly look and to realize what we deserve, you see, we deserve the righteous judgment of God, which means if we got what we deserved, that first time that we ever sinned, right, that we would be consumed, that we would be judged by God, that we would be killed. But God has been merciful to us, to each of you. He's been long-suffering. He's been patient with us. But we realize God's mercy as we look at this. And so, do you realize God's mercy bestowed upon your life? Do you know that you are in need of God's mercy? Now, mercy, like what I mentioned, is never a right to be demanded. It's a gift bestowed, so therefore I can't demand God's mercy. But he's praying and he's asking God to graciously Show him mercy. And isn't it sweet to see how God has been merciful to us? But for what purpose? Well, one pastor says it this way, that God, he extends his mercy. It's always for a purpose. God's mercy is always for a purpose. Well, how do we know that? Put a marker here, and we're going to be flipping a lot. Go over to Romans chapter 9, where we see this. God's purposeful and mercy, showing mercy. Romans chapter 9 where, where Paul shares a little bit about this. So, in, in Romans 9, we're seeing God's dealing with, with Israel in, in Israel's present state. And, and he's referring back to um, in the Exodus when God was bringing um, Israel out of Egypt. And look with me at verse 14. We'll pick it up there in the text. So in verse 14 of Romans 9, we see, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. So we see there again, um, Paul's stating it's not because we've earned it, we've run, we, or, or him who, who deserves, but God who shows mercy. Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very, what's that word? Purpose. Here's the purpose of God showing mercy. I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. And so what we see here is that God is saying, uses the example of Pharaoh, where the Lord showed mercy to Pharaoh for the purpose of showing his power, right? It would, it's perfectly righteous of God to wipe out Pharaoh in Egypt. He didn't have to be merciful to Pharaoh and, and send plagues, Right? bidding to let Pharaoh, you know, that Pharaoh would let Israel go, but it was merciful of God to do that. And and the word says, my purpose in showing you mercy, Pharaoh, was to show my power 
And we know that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and, and the Lord confirmed he hardens Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart, what he chose to do. So nevertheless, God's mercy is purposeful. And so that should make each of us ask ourselves this morning, what have you done with the mercy that God has shown to you? Right? God's given us life. If you're breathing today and you don't know the Lord, it's not too late. But have you given your life to Christ? But even in Christ, what are we doing with the mercy that God has extended to us? But notice, as you look in verse 1, as we keep going in, in Psalm 67, as we'll talk about, one of the purposes of God's mercy is that we could experience his blessing, that there could be reconciliation, right? Not getting what we deserve, and we know, and we'll talk about how that's in Christ. So he pleads for God's mercy, and then in verse 1, he continues on, and he says, and bless us. Now, he, the psalmist asked to be blessed, to experience God's favor, blessing. When blessing is mentioned, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Man, God blessed me today, or yesterday, you might say. I got a new um, toy truck, or, or maybe, you know, a new book, or, or that power tool that you wanted, or maybe it's a gift card to Starbucks, or Macy's, or, I, well, I guess, I don't even know if Macy's are open. TJ Maxx for my wife. Or, or Chick-fil-A for hers. That, that's what she would say, right? Yeah, I give a thumbs up for that. But right, when, when, we, when we think about experiencing the blessing of God, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, the first thing that my mind some, often runs to is the physical blessings. Man, I've been blessed with a good job, or maybe it's health. And, and God does bless us with that. But more so than that, the blessing is what we see in Ephesians chapter 1. So I told you that we're going to be busy turning this morning. So keep a marker here. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. See, and although we may experience the material blessing, the Lord has saved us. And if he's only given us the material blessings, it does us no good, right? Because they're but for a moment. They're but temporal. But in Ephesians chapter 1, we see here the true blessing that God has given to us. So starting uh, with me in verse 3, we see, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, notice, blessed us, right? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And you can keep reading on uh, chapters 1 and 2 and see all that God has blessed us with, but just glance again with me. Notice some of the blessings that um, are found for us that God has blessed us with. You saw, right, he, number one out of the gate, he says, with every spiritual blessing. So that just wraps it, you know, sums it all up. If there's anything he doesn't list, it's, it's wrapped up there in every spiritual blessing. It's accessible to us. And then secondly, we see that you have been chosen, man. What a blessing it is, right? When you line up to uh, play flag football on, on, on um, Thanksgiving or pick up basketball, to be chosen, right? You're not left out of the game. You've been, someone desires you. God has chosen you, he says there in Ephesians. Not only that, but he says that you've been made holy. You've been set apart. And I love that God, of course, he does set us apart. And so often, we only look at what he sets us apart from. And we forget that he sets us apart from the world, from sin, unto himself. You've been set apart unto him. You've been, been made holy. Not only that, but notice that he says that you've been made blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but I can even say yesterday, man, I deserve some blame. I've, I, I blew it. I, you know, I said things that I shouldn't, I, right? Just ask Olivia. But all of us, each of us, we, there's, we are um, righteous, right? We rightly deserve blame because we're guilty. But in Christ— 
There's no blame. Nobody can put a charge against you. You're blameless in him. Not only that, but notice you've been adopted, right? You've been chosen and you've been adopted to be a son or a daughter of the Father, our Heavenly Father. Not only that, you've been made acceptable. And how many of us, right, just want to be accepted? Maybe we don't say it, especially as guys, but you want to be accepted. I, I want to be part of the conversation. I want to know that I fit in. I want to know that I'm liked, that, that, that there's nothing that makes me unacceptable. There's no blemish. There's no blame found in me. Well, see, again, in Christ, this is the blessing that we experience. You and I have been made acceptable. Not only that, notice you've been redeemed. You've been put back for your intended purpose by God. He's saved you. He's bought you back. That you could be used, not as a slave to sin, but as Romans says, a slave to righteousness, to serve our master, the one whom loves, who loves us. You've been redeemed. Then we also see, right, on top of all this, is that you've been forgiven. Our sins have been washed away. And so while all of us here, right, we may experience different types of physical blessings. Maybe some of us are, are blessed in terms of what the world would consider blessed. You have great health, great money, whatever it may be. But for those of us who are in Christ, see, you are eternally blessed. And it's not, it's not a blessing that the world can steal. No one can take it from you. Because notice, as he says in verse 3, at the end, he says, he has blessed us in the heavenly places. And where is this blessing secure? It's in Christ. See, for those of us who have surrendered your life to Christ, he is your savior. He is your righteousness. The blessing is secure. How awesome is that? I never have to worry about it getting outdated, like maybe the newest PlayStation that you might have got, or phone, or technology. But as, Roman 8, as Romans 8 put, puts it, right, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And so maybe even today, man, you feel disappointed. I didn't get, um, I didn't get the gift that I wanted or, or that I was expecting. Or maybe I just feel let down because of the circumstances of life, right? Let's be honest, not all of us are blessed with health. Or maybe, maybe we don't have a family or maybe just... Man, we live in a sin, in, in a fallen world. And from a world's perspective, in, in, my, in my heart's perspective, I don't feel blessed. Well, this is the truth that the Lord says to you. You are blessed. And you're blessed in Christ. And no one can steal that from you. So go back over to Psalm 67. So our blessing is secure in Christ. But not only that, we see that this isn't something that Paul just made up. It's not something that is new in Ephesians as he was penning that letter to Ephesians. Keep turning as, as you're turning to Psalm 67 and go to the left all the way to the beginning in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 12 and look, God had promised this blessing from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, as he is talking to, to Abraham in verse 2 of Genesis 12, the word says there in his promise, as he's making this promise to Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will, notice, he says, bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So the Lord there in his promise to Abraham, he says, I will bless you, Abe, and you will be a blessing. Now, he, he tells us more about this. Go to the right in Genesis chapter 22. He, he tells us more as he's speaking to Abraham about this blessing. And where he's, he's saying that Moses' descendants, his seed, he, he's making this promise, right? The promised son of Abraham, who would be Isaac. In verse 18, the Lord says this to Abraham. He says, in your seed, speaking of Isaac, the, the one who was promised, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So notice, all the nations can experience this blessing through Abraham. Now, you Bible students know that um, 
the seed of Abraham, Isaac, right? And Christ would be a descendant of Abraham. And it's through Christ all the nations can experience the blessing of God. In the Old Testament, it was, it was Israel, God's chosen people. But as they rejected the Messiah, as they rejected Christ, right, God used that to share the gospel to the world. And for you and I, you know, there might be uh, maybe one or two of us who, who are of Jewish descendant here this morning, but many of us aren't. We are those who, through the seed of Abraham, we're the nations that, can be, that are blessed through his seed. So, see, the promise of God's blessing in Christ that we can experience is not something new. It's not an afterthought. This has been God's plan for, for each of us, that we can experience the mercy of God and then his blessing. But notice, this is the Christmas message, isn't it? This is what Christmas is about. The Advent, which simply means God is the theological term for um, God um, coming in the flesh, the Son of God coming in the flesh. And, and we, we read that, like Olivia said, we read this in our house, um, yes, Luke chapter 2, where we saw the Christmas story, and, and, and you're familiar with it. You know, you watch Charlie Brown, right? You see it on, on ABC or NBC, whatever channel it is. But, but the coming of Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, Luke chapter 2, verse 6, says this, And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Speaking of Mary, having Jesus, And she brought forth her son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn, or we might say today at McGee or, or St. Clair Hospital or, or wherever it may be, right? There's no room. So he was born in a manger. But verse 8 tells us, Now there were in that same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, verse 9, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be, or which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And so we see the incarnation, right? The, the blessing that was promised to Abraham through which all the nations will be blessed. The blessing right, that we can experience in Christ Jesus, as we read in Ephesians 1, is Christ come in the flesh, the Son of God. See, the purpose of him coming is to be born under the law, Galatians 4.4 tells us. He's God, but he subjected himself to the law. And as Galatians 4.5 tells us, to fulfill the law on our behalf, because we haven't kept it. We've broken the law, but Christ kept it perfectly. And then as Hebrews um, 10 tells us, he says, Therefore, when he, speaking of Christ, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a boy, excuse me, a body you prepared for me. See, Christ came not just to offer a, a, another goat or another lamb as a sacrifice, but he came to give his own body as a sacrifice for, for us. And that's what Christmas is about. As 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 tells us, for you, who, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was right rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. See, it's the Son of God. It is God come in the flesh. He humbled himself subjected himself. Can you think about it? He had to go through teething. Yeah, right? He had to be dependent on, upon somebody else feeding him. He had to, he, he, he had to quote unquote, as right, sometimes we say, like deal with everything that, that, that we have to deal with. Family. Brothers didn't believe in him, but he humbled himself and came as a babe. That, that, that God, the perfect sacrifice that God required would be offered 
that you and I may become rich because of the grace of God. That's the Christmas message. See, that's why in Psalm 67, you're like, Psalm 67, how does that connect to Christmas? We can experience the blessing of God, the greatest presence of all, which is his presence, right? And so I love one author that I was reading says this. This author, he says, bound in the Christmas message of of the incarnation is the Easter message of atonement. God making at one meant. God making us one again with him. He goes on and he says, For if Jesus was, was not made man, then we remain in our sins. But the reality of the first advent or the first coming is that God in all his riches became poor so that we might become rich in Christ, as we read there in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For Jesus, the nativity was a rags, excuse me, for Jesus, the nativity was a riches to rags story. But for us, as I mentioned as we began the service, it makes the opening scene of history's greatest rags to riches story. Man, that's what Christmas is. See, you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ that you can experience the rich blessing of his presence. Because as you keep looking in in Psalm 67, notice at the end of verse 1, that is the blessing. Of course, God does bless us physically, but apart from all of that, notice he says his prayer, his request, is to have God's face shine upon him. Have God's face shine upon him. Now, I think we don't really, like, we can read that very lightly, kind of skim over it, but have you ever, like, walked into a room or, or maybe you've been among some friends or, or, or a group of people and there's somebody who you're at odds with and they just won't even make eye contact with you, right? You, there's some adversity. There's something going on. You're at enmity. You're at war. And so you try to look at them, like glance over, and, and they won't even recognize your presence. They won't give you their face, right? See, that's kind of the idea. God's face shining upon us. That we could, as, as we might say today, have FaceTime with him, right? That's what you do. If you, if, uh, for those who have an iPhone, right, you can FaceTime. You can call. You can have that face-to-face relationship, that face-to-face presence, that's what, that's what friends do. You spend time one, with one another. And so God's face shining upon us. We have an opportunity to experience the blessing of his presence. And this is the true blessing. Now for, for many of us, and or I should say not many of us, uh, hopefully not many of us here, but at least in America, right? The American gospel oftentimes is we seek what's in God's hand the physical blessing, rather than seeking his face. And so for you and for me, it's a great time to reflect, right? Do I seek, do, do I, do I, do I, have I surrendered my life to Christ just to experience a quote-unquote like a blessing, what God can give to me? Or is it the one who holds the blessing? Is it his presence? Because I'll chase after, right, what's in his hand, and I'm missing out on on, on the one who holds it. And for us, the real joy is to enjoy the presence of God. Because that's what we were made for. You know that, right? Before the fall, before sin entered in, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the garden. And what would that have been like? To just been walking with him. And then when sin entered the world, right? As, as Isaiah 59, 2 tells us, that our sins have separated us from God. There's war now. They're at enmity with God. But his desire to experience God's mercy and to be blessed was the psalmist in here in verse 1, is to experience the presence of God. Now, Moses also prayed the same thing. Do you remember? Remember in Exodus chapter 33, as Moses, this is right after he came off of the Mount um, Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and what did he come down to? He came down to Aaron and, and everybody, um, they, they made a golden calf. And he said, Aaron, what in the world's going on? Right? His, his number two is his right-hand man. And Aaron's like, I don't know. All of a sudden, you know, we put some gold in the fire and this calf came out and everybody started worshiping. I don't know how it happened, right? 
That's what happens when you leave the assistant pastor in charge for the day, right? No, hopefully not. But, but there, then, then the Lord goes on in chapter 33, and, and Moses is conversing with the Lord. And, and God, it says that Moses, he, he took his tent, and, and he took it outside of the camp because the camp has been defiled, right? He knew that God can't dwell in the presence of of sin, of where there's unholiness. And so Moses wanted the presence of God, and he said, so God, I'm going to move my tent out from where the sin is, that you may come again and dwell. And, and that's what God did, right? And they were all watching as Moses and Joshua worshiped in, in Moses' tent, as the glory of God descended. But then Moses goes on in, in Exodus 33, um, starting in verse 15 there, and he's and this is Moses speaking to the Lord, and, and he said to the Lord, he said to him, this is Moses to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up out of here. We could stop there. Moses didn't want to just go. He didn't want to, to simply get to the end. He didn't want to just go to the destination that God had for them in the promised land, right, where there's land flowing with milk and honey. For Moses, he knew, he said, his heart was set on God, unless you're there, I don't want to go. And for many of us, right, I'm like, Lord, get me there. I don't care how you get me there. Just do it quick, and I want to be there. When, the, when it's not about getting to the destination, it's about being with the Lord. But he goes on in verse 16, and he says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? Notice, Moses realized that what set Israel apart from all of the other nations is that God's presence was with them. Do you see that? We're going to look at this in Psalm 67. What sets us apart from the world is that you and I have God's presence in our life. And they see that. And it's not because we're a bunch of religious, self-righteous Pharisees that are perfect— it's because God has been gracious to us and God has forgiven us. God has given his son that we might be made the righteousness of God. But Moses, he goes on in verse 16. He said, so we sh shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. He knew, see, that they were separate, again, because of God's presence. Verse 17 so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he, the Lord, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name before you. Notice, right, the blessing, or you might say the goodness of God is connected to his presence, his glory. Did you see that also? And he, said, and he connects it to his name or his character. Interesting. He says, I will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will co have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. Notice to Moses, what it, he said, Moses, you can't see my face. You can't experience this face-to-face this -face presence with me. For no man shall see me and live. Verse 21, And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be that while my glory passes by, that I, notice, he says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see, shall not be seen. So here we see that the Lord says, Moses, right? God, the friend of God. Moses is called the friend of God. Even Moses couldn't see the Lord face to face. God says, no one can see my, me face to face and die. But Moses, if you want to see me, what did, what did the Lord tell Moses? Where did he have to be? He said, I will take you and I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. You see, and that's important because the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us that that rock is Christ. And how do we experience, how can we, the only way that we can experience the presence, God face to face, is being hidden in Christ, being hidden in the rock, our Savior. So no other way. 
where we would be consumed by the presence of God, by his perfection, by his holiness. But see, again, in Christ, that presence is made possible. We can know him. It's only when we are in Christ, when we are in his righteousness, that we can experience this blessing. See, Christ made, like we mentioned, the greatest gift possible, his presence. And if you were in Christ, God's favor, as the psalmist was praying in in verse 1, shines upon you. His face shines upon you. But do you know that? Man, because, again, I mess up. I drop the ball. I blow it. And then I think, right, in my legalistic heart, in, in my heart that wants to say that I have something to do about it, that I've earned God's favor, man, that there's no way that God looks favorably upon me anymore. But that doesn't change because you're secure in Christ. Again, his face shining upon you just makes me think about light, right? That I can be in the light, that, that there ha- doesn't have to be anything hidden in my life, no sin hidden. God already knows. It's already been dealt with. So I can fe- confess my sins as the Bible invites us to. That we can walk in the light, that we don't have to stumble as we walk in darkness, and, like the world who knows not God. Again, the FaceTime reminds me of experience just the favor, the blessing of God. And, and again, the light, the, the face, right? There's that, um, when you look somebody face to face, that warmth, that intimacy that we experience, that you can experience with God. The beauty, looking of the beauty of the Lord as we appear into his face. And it makes me think, too, about Peter, right? When he denied Christ right before he went to the cross. And he said in his flesh, Lord, I won't deny you. And what was, what was Christ's face look like when, when Peter appeared on him? Or, excuse me, when Peter peered into his eyes, right? After the rooster crowed three times. You know, I, you know, I don't think it was a stern, I can't believe you did that, Peter. But I think it was, I love you, Peter. The grace of God. Well, David Guzik says this. He says, to know that God looks favorably upon you, that he's well pleased, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because you are in Christ, there's no greater source of peace and power in life. And this morning, how do you how do you picture God looking upon you? See, again, if you're in Christ, there's no doubt, there's no question that God looks favorably upon you. There's no changing in and out of his favor. And that's a true source of peace in your life. That's a source of power because I know that I can always experience his presence with me, which again, empowers us. But notice all of this, the, the prayer in, in, in Psalm 67 verse 1 here should remind you of another prayer in, in Numbers chapter 6. When Aaron, again as, as Israel was traveling, as they were journeying, journeying through the wilderness, Aaron the high priest at that time, the word um, had him pray a blessing over Israel. And it sounds very, very similar to this, right? Numbers chapter 6, verses um, 24 through 26. You know, it, it's, a, it's a real sweet uh, few verses there. You should go and read it. You know, if someone was smart, they'd write a song about that, that too. Oh, come on. You guys don't know that song, The Blessing by Carrie Job. Okay, go listen to it on your way home. But anyways, uh, there's this blessing that the high priest would, would give to the nation, And notice that the Lord instructed the high priest to bless the people. And for us, right, we, in the same sense now for you today, we don't have to go through a priest, right? You can go, you have direct access to the presence of God because of Christ, who is our high priest, right? And again, he's the one who blesses us. We experience the blessing of God through him. But do you also know that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that you and I are, are a royal priesthood? That we're, we're, a, uh, we're a gang of royal priestesses and, and priests? That we can share the same blessing with the world around us? 
that they might experience this blessing. Well, notice, that's exactly what the psalmist says in verse 2. Just keep going on there. Here's the purpose of the blessing. See, in America, in, 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 in our lives, we say, Lord, bless me so I can consume it upon myself. I just want to become fat, right, with the blessing. But God says, and that's what happened to Israel. They, they, they cut themselves off. They were supposed to be an avenue which God's grace poured out to the world, to the nations around them. But God's intention was that others, the nations, would experience his blessing. Look in verse 2, and he says that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. So why has God allowed us to experience his presence? Why has God, what's the purpose of God showing mercy in your life? Here it is. It's so that you and I can make his way known and you and I can make his salvation known among the nations. We're not to be consumers. Of course, we do get to, to consume, but we're to be vessels where we're poured into and we're poured out of. We're, we're to be put on, um, we're display for the world to see what God has done in our lives, trophies of his grace. He says that your way would be known, right? The intended purpose of God's mercy, that others would know the Lord by observing our lives, by observing his presence, that salvation to all the nations. See, this life isn't about us. I hate to tell you. I hate to tell myself, right? Because I, I love to make it about myself. Man, if I don't get maybe the food that I want or, or if, if the timing, if the schedule doesn't go how according to I planned, right? If I thought we were going to eat Christmas dinner at six o'clock at night and we eat it at 10 o'clock at night, We've never experienced that before in our house. But, right, life isn't about you. See, God's, God uses you that others would see his work in you. How do we know this? I'm glad that you asked. Exodus 14 tells us this. You can turn there with me, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read for, for time's sake. But in Exodus 14, notice as the Lord is bringing Again, Israel out of Egypt. He says this in verse 1. He says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, and he's saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may turn and camp before Pihirath and before Migdal and the sea, and opposite of Baal Zephon. You shall camp um, bef before it by the sea, for Pharaoh shall say to, of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. So literally, they were stuck. The sea, and there was um, a big cliff on one side, they couldn't go anywhere. But verse 4, listen to what the Lord says. He says, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, who, and he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his armies. But look, this is the purpose. Do you see it in verse 4? That who? The Egyptians. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Notice God says that I'm going to close you in. I'm going to put you in tight circumstances, but I'm going to deliver you out of it that others, the world, would see my salvation. Right? Keep going on. In Exodus 14, look at verse 24. It says, Then, or excuse me, now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels, and AAA couldn't make it there fast enough. No. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove um, them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. See, there's God's word fulfilled. The Egyptians saw that, that um, the Lord fought for them, that it was God saving them. It wasn't their salvation. Not only that, but in Deuteronomy, it tells us something very similar. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Lord says there, what's his purpose in saving them? In verse 7, it says, For what great nation is there that has God so near to it that is um, as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? See, there, there was no other nation that got to have that experience, God's presence, that they could just call upon him. There was no other nation, no other peoples who had the law of God. Man, the book of life, right, given to them. And the same is true for you and I. That the nations, and think about it, who's the nations around you? 
Who's God put around you who don't know him? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you today don't know the Lord. I don't know. Maybe you aren't saved. But God's purpose is not just to save us, right? Of course it is to save us, but it's then to use you to reach the, the world. Man, and what a joy is to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own circumstances, and to be used by the Lord um, to share the gospel with others. See, when the world sees God's presence evidenced in our lives, he is making his way known. The gospel frees us to live unto God and slaves to sin. And so notice in, in verses 3 and 4, we see the result of God's blessing. In Psalm 67, the result of God's blessing. He says in verse 3, Let the peoples praise you, O Lord, and let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for, they, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. See, so notice the psalmist here, he, he continues to pray. And his desire is word that the people would praise you, the nations would praise you, that they would come and worship the Lord. In essence, that they would be saved, right? That they would come to that knowledge that God would be their God. And we know that even today, right, we can pray according to that same heart for those who are unsaved. But do you know that there will be a day when those who even, of course, for us who are in Christ, we live our lives, our lives of worship, poured out to him. But even there will be a day when every knee will bow before Christ on the day of judgment. See, and they will acknowledge him as God. They will worship him. But then they will be separated from him. And so that should, because we see in verse 4 that he is a righteous judge. And, and if we come to him based on our own merit, based on our own deeds, if we think that, that we can earn, right, the, the, his righteous garments, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. And he will judge us righteously, and we'll see that we never measure up. And that's, that's again, the need for his mercy, his grace that, we, that we've um, been talking about. But the first coming of Christ, right, in Christmas, we celebrate him coming as the Lamb of God. But his second coming will be as the conquering king. To do as he says here in verse 4, to judge the nations righteously, to judge people righteously and govern the earth. And I love that the Lord is a righteous judge. It's freeing. In Acts 17, 31, there Paul said, or excuse me, Luke says, because he, speaking of the Lord, has appointed a day on which he, speaking of Christ, will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he, speaking of Christ, who has ordained. See, Christ will judge the world. In Revelation 16, 7, there we read, even so the Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are his judgments. He will judge righteously. See, but right now, things aren't as they should be. And that's why there's still heartache. And that's why there's still pain. And that's why there's still unfair circumstances and, th and things that, that where this, this, this isn't right. Because we're still in the day of man. So don't lose heart. It's the day of man. The Lord is still in control, but he's letting man have his way. But you see, on the day of Christ, on the day of Christ, when he comes back, he will make all things right. And that frees me, doesn't it? Man, when there's injustice done to me, when that person slights me, when they cut me off, when they say that, I don't have to get back at them. God will deal with it. But not only that, see, as I realize that I've done that to others, that if I, if I got what was rightly deserved unto me, I stand no chance. So it's a freeing doct doctrine to know. But then, for, again, for us in Christ, to, there's security there. I don't have to be worried about Christ, the righteous judge. Because as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, right, he became, or he became um, sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. So your righteousness is secure. See, but even in the troubled times, and even when my heart is troubled, as one pastor says, 
In the end, God will make all things right. So if all things aren't right, it's not the end yet. And that's our hope, right? Not for right now, but for eternity. So we see that the nations would come, the nations would praise um, the Lord for who he is, that they would know him, the result of knowing God, a response of praise. But then in verses 5 through 7, we see our purpose fulfilled. Our purpose fulfilled. Notice he talks here about um, a, a fruit, a produce, a, a harvest that the land is going to give. So in verse 5, he says, again, let the peoples praise you, O Lord, and let the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be um, a fruit. There's going to be a crop that's, that's taken. And he goes on in verse 6. He says, God, our own God, shall bless us. God sh- shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So this is a reference, many believe, to Leviticus chapter 26. Where in Leviticus 26, the word there is, is summarizing um, his covenant, the old covenant with Israel. Where, where the old covenant, right, is do good and, and be blessed, right? That's the old covenant. That's the law. That, and, and in summarizing it, um, in, actually starting in verse 1 of Leviticus uh, chapter 26, the word says there, he says, um, uh, we'll skip down actually, in verse 3, he says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season, and the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So notice when they were walking um, right, when they were in a right standing with the Lord, when they were keeping his statutes, when they were walking in obedience, God said, I will, I will bless the land with rain, and, and your crops will bring its increase. So there would be this physical blessing. Um, verse 5, your threshings shall last till time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing, so they wouldn't run out of crops in the wintertime. Um, so if you keep going, he talks about the blessing there that they would experience. And verse 9, notice, again, we were, we've been talking about this, but he says, for I will look favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. Notice again the look of God, the, knowing that, that as they experienced the blessing, it was, again, the idea is that connected with, um, they were in a favor, they were in a right standing, a favorable standing with God. But notice this in verse 14, jump down there. He says, but if you do not obey me, so if you refuse to walk in my law, if, if, if you um, want to worship idols, he says, and do not observe all of these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant. In verse 16, he says, I also will do this. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of your heart. And, and you shall sow your seed in vain. So in emptiness, it's going to be purposeful or without purpose. For your enemy shall eat it. And, but check this out in verse 17. He says, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Do you see that? Again, if, if you, the blessing, being in a right standing with God, the idea is there that, that we will experience a blessing, that his, we will have a favorable um, stance with him. But when we're not right with God apart from Christ, right, in our own doing, God sets his face against us. And we experience the result of our sin, right? Apart from Christ, outside of Christ, the judgment that has come. But all of this to, to look at and to know, that that's, that's the old covenant. But you and I are not under the old covenant, are we? We're in the new covenant. The covenant of his blood, the covenant of grace. Where we don't deserve we don't earn we don't have to measure up anymore we we, we've went over this but we are found in his blood and our blessing is secure that's like psalm 1 says that blessed is the man who not who walks not in the way of sinners or sits in the counsel of the ungodly but whose delight is in the law of the lord and we can just 
It's again, the blessing isn't because we're earning it, but we just get to, now he gives us the, the ability to um, keep his law. And, and to do that, he, he empowers us. As Psalm um, 37, 4 says, right? That we can um, delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. We know that as Isaiah 58 tells us that our, the true delight of our heart is when we're, we're worshiping God, when we're Sabbathing in, in him, when we're just living a life of worship. Again, because we can have that constant presence in our life. But the idea here, what the psalmist is saying, why I'm going through all this, and, I, and we looked at Leviticus 26, where when they were walking in obedience, there would be a fruit. Notice in Psalm 67, he says, that as the nations worship me, as then, right, as people are, um, are, are, are under me, as I'm their God, and they're fulfilling their purpose, and there's a fruit, it produces something, there's a produce. You get the idea? Fruit, produce. And it's that God is worshiped, that God is glorified, that God is made big. And you see, yes, it is all about Him. The Bible tells us that you were made for his glory. And we're never satisfied until we're doing what he's created us for. And so our purpose fulfilled. David Guzik, I, I love him. He says it this way. He says it great. There's, I, I couldn't summarize it a better way. He says, God created us to know his way, his salvation, his praise. And when we do this, the earth itself is happy. Because the people of the earth are doing what God created them to do. God's natural order for creation and mankind is then honored and blessing is the result. But notice, I, I love this as we close out. He says in, at the end of verse 6, he says, God, our own God, shall bless us. It wasn't God of Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, it's not God of uh, Xander. It's not God of the Israelites. He is, right, God of, all, of, of different groups and of Israel and of my God. But notice, it's personal. Because sure, right, we can experience the after effects, right, the, the, the quote-unquote side effects of somebody being in the presence of God, maybe a family member who saved, man, they, God used that person. You, you saw Right? God working in their life, he's forgiving uh, their, their sins. And, and man, you saw this person change. And right? God used that person to bring him to you, that you would know him. But then when you experience, right, God wants us to experience his presence for yourself. It's not an, it's not an after presence, right, that, that um, Olivia enjoys and then, oh, just that. God wants to ex you to experience his presence, to know that blessing. And so even as we um, close out Christmas of 2021 and as we enter into 2022, man, the greatest presence of all has been made available to us in Christ. Not to be consumers, but to be vessels that God would use you wherever God has planted you, that the nations, that others around you would know him, that you would be trophies of his grace, and that the fruit of your life would be just that which others can take, man, and enjoy. And they would know that you're abiding in the vine, as, as John 15 tells us. And it's not something that we have to try to produce on our own. We don't have to strive, but we just abide in him. And he produces the fruit in our lives that point back to him. And isn't it cool? You know, what's inside of a fruit of an apple there's seed, isn't it? See? And seed naturally reproduces as it's just taken and it's, and it's consuming. God will do that. And so as we close out here and uh, the worship team comes up to do uh, one, one last song and as we worship, right, this is an opportunity for each of us here just to be obedient to the Lord. We read there in verse 3 and also again in verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. And so that's what we're going to do. Let it go. Man, if it's circumstances that, got, that have you bogged down or, or whatever it may be, 
Let's just set that aside. Remember what the first coming of Christ has made available to us, his presence. And let's worship the Lord just even over the next two or three minutes for who he is. And so, Father, um, we just want to give you the glory, God, and and we thank you for the gift of um, your son, Lord, who has forgiven us and who has made us righteous in him. And Lord, would, I just pray that each and every one of us here, that you would use our lives for your glory, that, that others would see and that others would know, Lord, your saving power, God, your grace. And Lord, would um, many, many come to know you, Lord, through this little fellowship here in West Elizabeth, PA. God, not for our name's sake, but for your name's sake. That, Lord, people up and down the Mon Valley, Lord, people um, in our families, would say, man, can you believe that God saved them? Can you believe how he's blessed them? Lord, and that they would come, too come to that same saving knowledge. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for saving us and for sending your son, Lord, the greatest, richest drag story that we could experience. And, and it would open the door for the greatest um, rags to riches story man has ever heard of. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.